Welcome to this episode of Tea with Triggy. It's great to have you here. This is a podcast where I catch up with friends and people that I find fascinating. I check that they're doing okay and ask for tips to help us stay at home more comfortable. I'm very excited today because I'm putting a call through to one of my dear friends, the very talented award-winning British designer, Matthew Williamson. And he's talking to me from Mallorca, lucky thing. Hello, Matthew. Hello. How are you? Oh, it's so lovely to see. I haven't seen... God, when was the last time we saw each other? I was trying to think, and it's definitely a good few years back. It is. Way back. Well, how long have you been in Mallorca, you lucky Um, thing? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I guess I've been here about five years now. Um, It has gone quickly. Yeah, time has flown by. I definitely call it my home. Um, so yeah, it's, um, it's been quite a while, but it's nice to yeah, hear so, your voice. Oh, it's lovely. And I'm, I'm glad, just so everyone knows, we can actually see each other, only virtually. Um, yes. But um, it's very nice to see your lovely face. Um, now, I just have to ask you, as it's tea with me, are you, have you got your cup of tea? I do indeed. I have um, my favourite cup. I have. Um, and what's in it? Um, it's, my, it's Yorkshire tea, it's not, nothing fancy. um, (laughs) just a proper cup of tea yes it's a proper cup of tea builder's tea builder's tea and do you have do you have honey or sugar in it and milk uh just a splash of milk but that's it oh good boy i i if i have that sort if i have property what i call property because my dad my my dad was from lancashire so you know i grew up on really strong northern tea but yeah. I like I actually have honey in mine now. But I've actually got a lemon and ginger today. Oh, Refreshing. Nice. Well, I've always wanted to be a green tea drinker, but it's just never happened. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm, I'm sort of quite stubborn, stuck in my tea drinking ways. <laughs> so just tell me, so we can all be green with envy. What's the weather like today in, in Mallorca? Well, well, actually, it's not. It's not it's a blue sky, it's a lovely, fresh, crisp day. It's not boiling hot, which I never thought I'd say this, but you know, you sort of go through June, July, and August here, begging for September to roll on because actually the temperature drops, which is far more bearable for me. Um, I didn't think I'd think that as a, I guess, in my 20s and 30s. I love the sun, I love mm-hmm. lying in the sun for hours on end. I can't quite do it now. I get bored. I get fed up. So, and it's hard to function because I guess I'm not on my holiday. I live here. I say so. you live here and you work. That's your workspace, yeah. Yeah. So I. So it's so it's a lovely day, uh, but it's it's manageable. So I can get lots done today, hopefully. Well, I'm very 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 you. jealous, as you know. You know, none of us have been able to travel, and I know. I mean, when I spoke to you on the phone the other day, I know you said that. Your mum and dad haven't been able to come out and you've, you really yeah. missed them. And we I haven't been indeed. able to travel. So where are you calling from? I'm calling from our place in Sussex. Down, right. down, I'm by the seaside, not quite as hot. Although it's a lovely blue sky day here today. And yeah. as you, I don't know whether you know, but we had unbelievably hot weather a couple of weeks ago. Right. It was, right. It was too hot, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah. but that must be... That, that I think that I think talking to everyone I've talked to that has been the big 
really hard thing for everyone missing their families no absolutely i mean um i haven't seen my parents who i see so often mm. um it's such a big part of my life and I well they're gorgeous seen... i mean you're um, you're lovely I lo- well i love your dad but your mum is divine i love her to bits <laughs> yeah they are very special um you know i love spending time with them they're, they're such lively souls and such optimistic people mm. you know even in this miserable time they remain completely optimistic and hopeful and you know they're sort of masters at, at creating something from nothing i hope that i've learned a few tricks from them that they you know what little they may have you know they're sort of they're, they're typical you know i guess they're in a vulnerable category, they they have abided by the rules, the laws. They've not gone out. They've not seen anyone. So they're pretty much confined in quite a small house with a small back garden. Um, but they've you know planted vegetables. They've grown things. They've made turned their hands to crafting. I think my mum has not stopped painting. I think she might have painted my dad by now. If he's done still long enough. <laughs> You know, they're quite um, inventive and, you know, they're sending me recipes of what they've tried. And yeah, they remain, you know, as as jolly as they can be. But yeah, I'm dying to see them. I think I'll perhaps start thinking about a flight next week. Lovely. um, To go and visit them. Yeah, I bet they're desperately missing you. So just take us back. You were born in Manchester, right? Yeah, is that, right. is that and you grew up all your childhood was there? Yeah, I grew up in Manchester, in um, <laughs> South Manchester, in a place called Cholton Cum Hardy, and I lived there with my mum, dad, and my sister. I have a, a slightly older sister, and we lived very happily till I was about. Well, I left when I was eighteen, mm-hmm. um, just turning eighteen. I, I managed to get myself on the fashion course at St. Martin's in London. Um, so much to my parents, not horror, but they were quite shocked that I got this place relatively early on. Um, I ended up on this course in fashion and I was the youngest of uh, a group of 60 students. So it was a big shift to move from this really tight family yeah. unit. Your mum must have been desperate. <laughs> Yeah, she did have a little tear in her eye on the day that I got oh. this acceptance letter. But she, but she must like, have been so proud as well. I mean, that's to get into St. Martin's, especially at that age, it's amazing. Right. You know, it's yeah, the I mean, great I, fashion school in the world, isn't it, really? Yeah, I, do, I have a lot to thank for, for getting in there, um, for sure. But I, I, I knew what I wanted to do as a little boy. I was so driven and again probably my parents influenced that sort of work ethic that they both had they really instilled that in me that you know that sort of basic you know you work hard you graft and you get paid and, and you know that's how I saw things and I, I, I didn't take anything for granted um, and, and I remember being so passionate about art and craft and design and colours and just was very curious about a different world for the world that I was in. Mm-hmm. Whilst it was a very happy world, um, I could already see the limitations of it and how I could I needed to sort of move on both 
mentally and physically and creatively. So moving to London was a no-brainer. And I started to look at designers that had gone to St. Martin's and, you know, one day that could be me kind of thing. And I'll never forget when I was, I I did my O-levels, as they were then called A-levels. Yeah. (laughs) So my age now. Um, And when I finished the A-levels, I remember you were supposed to go and do a foundation course. And that was really sort of immersive year in the arts where you would discover what 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 strain of what you know what was it photography you wanted to do was it ceramics was it fine art and I went to the interview and I was only uh, just turned 17 and I remember the lecturer there said to me you're really going to waste your time doing this course just you don't say I said that but you really do know what you want to do why don't you just go straight to fashion and I said, well, yeah, I was, I'm glad you said that. Really, that's true. Um, I want to go to St. Martin's. And she said, oh, well, that that could be a bit, you know, not sure about that. Like, you're good, but you're not that. I'm not sure you're that good. <laughs> so she kind of put this seed of doubt, I guess, this sort of, you know, she threw this idea out that it might not ever happen. And that had a weird effect. It made me think, right, I'm really going to show you. (laughs) I'm not not only going to apply, I'm going to get in and I'm going to nail it. Um, So that's what I did and spent four years on a degree there. And, um, you know, it it definitely opens doors once you leave. The fact. Did you you have, um, is there, I always ask people if they have one kind of person in their life who, who really kind of, I mean, I've, I have I had Ken Russell, the film director, who changed mm. my life completely. Right. Because, um, I, you know, I was modelling and it was all going great, but he switched my life and my career into performing as well, which I'd never even thought about. It wasn't even on my radar, really. How did he do that? How was well, he the... cast, you know, he met me and he cast me in my first film, The Boyfriend. So when I did that, it was like, oh, my God. It was like going into the secret garden. So I always ask people, but so Ken Russell was incredibly important in my life and changing my life and giving me all these opportunities. So I wondered if there was a person, yeah. a teacher or a, maybe a parent or who kind of gave you that window of opportunity or or convinced you you could do it you could you know, was there somebody like that I'd love to say there was but I guess the the the, the story I sort of talked about a second ago it was I had a few instances like that mm-hmm. where almost unlike where you're saying someone sort of nurtured you and pushed you into this area that you perhaps didn't know much about for me, it was almost like the opposite, whereby I had another experience with a um, when I left St. Martin's and I actually had a job in Monsoon, the high street game. Yeah, yeah. And I was there for three years, doing really well on a great salary. And again, I said, I'm going to leave. I'm going to do my own thing. I, I'm, I'm frustrated here. Very brave um, of you. <laughs> maybe brave, maybe stupid. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> but, but the... Probably but also both, that but... comes with youth as well, don't you think? You, you're quite yeah, brave think, when you're young. Yeah, I had nothing to lose. Or, you know, I had a salary to lose, yeah. but I just didn't, I felt invincible and I thought I can do this. And again, it was a sort of repetitive scenario whereby this art director just sort of, you know, hand on a hip and shook a head at the thought of it and said, oh, why would you do that? Like, why on earth? You know, 
And she was sort of reflecting, I guess, to me, the fact that she wasn't brave enough to do it. And there was a sort of element of regret within her, you know, energy. She was sort of saying, why would you do that? That would be madness. And it was that, again, that made me think, okay, well, you know, I'm going to give it a go. I just, I just had that. I guess you have to have confidence, which I don't necessarily have as a in myself but I have it in my work I have mm-hmm. a huge belief system that what I'm doing is from the heart I believe it's good I think it's you know I'm not blagging it it's well also of- you have I think I mean you are incredibly talented but your designs in in clothes in you know interiors in fabrics and everything is unique to you you know you know it's a Matthew Williamson you know that that mm-hmm. dress is Matthew Williamson you know that that Wallpaper. Do you know you've got a, a, a very distinctive look? Yeah, I guess so. You yeah. must have always had. I mean, I'm sure it's grown over the years, but it's so you. No, you're so right. I mean, there's definitely that strong design DNA that that's sort of very recognisable, as you as you rightly say. I don't know how that's happened, and I don't know. I guess I've just learned that you know I don't think many artists can. You know, I, I don't know many people that can do a million things really well. And so I suppose at root, I've decided to focus on what I can do. What are my strengths, play to my strengths? And in doing that, I guess you get a sense of um, a clearer vision. And much like music, musicians, I guess, like or even actresses, I guess you get typecast and, and yeah, yeah. you know, do the same roles or you might be singing the same tunes and you, you you know you're known for jazz and then you go and do a pop and it's a bit weird so I think it's sort of staying in your lane and knowing that that's your you can't please everyone you certainly can't please everyone and when you stop trying to do that then you create a brand signature and a brand aesthetic that people love or or, or, or don't love um, exactly so yeah that's I guess what I've always tried to do when you went going back a bit when you were at school you said because you said you were you kind of knew what you wanted to do when you were what from about eight or nine was that difficult in a school in Manchester because you don't think of that area as you know being the place where a brilliant world famous fashion designer is going to come out of although they come out of everywhere don't they I mean did you get teased at school because you wanted to be a designer yeah, I for sure was bullied relentlessly. Because um, of that, do you think? Because of who I was, because of my difference, I guess. I was very flamboyant, I suppose, looking back. My sexuality was definitely an issue whereby, even if I didn't know or others didn't know, it was certainly sort of targeted. Kids find anything they can pick on. or I mean, I got teased at school. Right had no boobs and skinny legs, which actually led to, <laughs> to what happened to me happening. But, you know, they, they have to pick on something if you're different, yeah. which is, in the end, what makes you special. Right. And I think that's just age, isn't it? You yeah. get to that point where it becomes a bonus and a, you know, a like you say, a unique point of difference. Yeah, at the time, I guess it was strange. It was odd. You know, he's got hair like this, or he's he's not playing football, or all those yeah. sort of. And 
did you did you kind of throw different clothes together for yourself? I mean, did you kind of get looks? Because when I was, I mean, I'm I'm older than you, obviously a lot older than you, and I was a mod, so yeah. the look was so important, and you couldn't buy mod clothes. So I used, I mean, I you know I learned to sew for my mum and my mum and my sisters. So I would make my clothes because it was so important to have the look. Yeah. So you know, did you kind of put your things together? Yeah, I guess I was, um, I guess it was, you know, sort of Manchester, the music scene was pretty, you know, um, notable at that time. Mm -hmm. Oasis, Happy Monday, that sort of grunge period I was growing up in. And I was definitely ahead of the curve in terms of, you know, I'd get my girlfriends from school and we'd run into this place in town. (laughs) It was called Affleck's Palace. And I'd just buy like metres of cheap fabric come home and knock things up and then by night we'd be going to this nightclub we're only like 15 or 16 mm-hmm. and the doorman took a shine towards because we were often in sort of they could go with this one girl in particular and we'd sort of make his and her versions of the same <laughs> outfit <laughs> you know i'd do a waistcoat to match her skirt for example Brilliant. um so yeah i definitely did that but i remember i think i knew what i wanted to do and my parents knew what I wanted to do when my dad bought me some football boots. The, op- the the worst present I could possibly have wanted, and I got these bloody football boots under the Christmas tree. Because I'm named after Matt Busby. Oh, so my are dad you? Was really, oh, yeah. 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 You know, he, he was really gunning for this football <laughs> superstar. It never happened. And apparently I really cried and took a big shock about it. And they said, well, what did you, what do you want? And I said, I want grandma's sewing machine. I was just going to say, did you ask for a sewing machine? <laughs> yeah, and I got one. She literally gave me her machine and then I was away. So, yeah, it worked out well in the end, though. So who taught you to, to actually sew? Because my mum and my sisters taught me to sew and use the machine. Did your mum right. or your grandma show you how it worked? You know, because if you've never been given a sewing machine, how, how did you know, you know how to do it? Well, to this day, I'm not the best sewer. Can't make great claims for that. I think when I when I had my business, I built a team around me, and there was machinists and seamstresses. And, and yeah, you don't have to. You don't have to do it once you become established, do you? Right. The irony. Yeah. Um, but no, I learned the basics myself. Probably my mom and grandma taught me. Yeah. You know, um, back in the day, but I was more a sort of creator than a seamstress. Yeah, because at St Martin's, didn't you do design and textile? Yeah. When you do a tex- textile, is that designing prints as well as the actual fabric itself? Yeah, or, or both. It was a sort of textile-focused degree. So it was a sort of overall fashion course, mm-hmm. but there was an emphasis on the surface pattern. So whether that be a woven fabric or a knitted fabric and and you know what the patterns are going to be on those fabrics so I became obsessed with that colors and color combinations and embellishment and that's really where I dove into and became fascinated with not only what you wear the shape the form the layers but how, what what you can actually say through pattern it's fascinating yeah. to me well I always think you know because I used to come to your fashion shows a few years back and they were always so joyous and I mean you know you'd go to a few fashion shows and 
you know, and some of them were good, some of them were not so good, but yours was always so vibrant and full of life and color. And, and, you know, and I, I can remember saying to Carl, you know, Carly, my daughter, who you also yeah, yeah. know, we'd just sit there going, Oh gosh, I want that one. I want that one. You know, it was lovely because it was just so uplifting. And I think you, design clothes that actually women love to wear which are beautiful beautifully made beautiful fabrics but great colors where some designers went down that kind of util, utilitarian is that the right word that yeah kind of, and like an androgynous look yeah more, well I, I don't mind androgynous and i was i i yeah. was quite famous for that in the city you know i used to wear tommy nutted you 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 were too young to yeah, know yeah. he used to make all i used to go to him and he used to make me men's suits but my yeah. size and I yeah. quite like that look but they were always in bright colors like I'd have a fuchsia one and a red velvet one so were you interested in fashion right back then yeah like, that's what I, I, I wanted to do what you 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 did really I was at school so I was at, in high school in the late 50s into like I left in 66 when I got discovered so um yeah. and I was 16 then yeah, my, my aim was to try and get into art school. I didn't even know about St. Martin's. It was not on my radar, but um, I just wanted to go to art school, study fashion and design and become a fashion designer. So you did what I wanted to do. And then fate took a different hand to me, obviously. But yeah. I've always been obsessed with clothes and, you know. That's so nice to know because you meet or I did back in the day meet so many models that clearly had no interest you know the, the two well the you know it was so refreshing you'd see like 40 models to cast for a show and 38 of them wouldn't really give the time of day to the collection they'd just sort of waltz in look at the rails and you'd plonk the best outfit on them and then that oh, was that done and then you get the very rare one. And you'd be like, "Oh, she's really keen. She knows. You know, she, she's more vested in this process and the fact that this collection took six months to build. I know. You know, it's not just. Well, I think paid. because I can sew, I know how hard it right. is to make something yeah. to do it well. I mean, I used, as I say, I used to make all my own clothes from the age of fourteen up until you know. I didn't have to. And then when I had my daughter, Carly, you know, when she was a teenager, she wanted, I can remember when she was about 13, coming home from school saying, mum, mum, you know, I've just seen these pictures of bell bottoms. And it was, bef it was before bell bottoms kind of came back in. This yeah. must, she was born in 78. So this must have been late 80s, early 90s. So I, being the good mum that I am, I made a mm -hmm. four pairs of <laughs> We went oh. out and got the fabric. I made her four pairs of bell bottoms. And then she came back after a weekend with her mates and said, oh, can you make some for so-and-so? And so-and-so. -and -so? I said, well, <laughs> no, I can't. Like, you, did, did you ever keep them? Have you kept them? I don't know. I don't know. She probably has. And I made I made her, a, she wanted a Beatles um, style suit. I may, I have got that. It's in, yeah. and they've got bell and it's in royal blue velvet with black, um, buying, you know, it's the beetle cup with the buttons down yeah, yeah. front, high neck, and that wow. was a bit failuring. I mean, it, it's it's okay. It's not. I wouldn't. You wouldn't probably sell it in the shop, but she would. <laughs> and and do, so, do you now? So, do you look back on obviously knowing what you wanted to do then, being so clear about that, but then, as you say, just being discovered by chance, I guess, hmm. and then your career going on a totally different. I, I guess trajectory. not. You know, it wasn't like you were 
thrown into a different universe. It's no. still within the fashion, obviously. Exactly. And also, um, I, you know, when I was 18, I, we did Twiggy dresses, teenage dresses for a few mm. years until we found out we were being like, you know, we were so green and young, totally ripped mm. off by the manufacturers. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, I did that for a couple of years. And then, you know, in the more recent years, I've collaborated with certain well-known stores and done collections, mm. which I'm very involved in. They always laugh at me because they say often when they do celebrity tie-ups, mm. the celebrity just signs off on things. Right. I think I drove them mad, actually. Cause I can't <laughs> imagine you doing that. <laughs> They do. They say to me, I'd go in. I'd go in for a few hours, and, and I'd be there all day. And they say, "Go home, Twiggy. Go home. It's fine." But I love it. I. I mean, I. I'm. You know, it's still one of my passions. Yeah, if you're going to invest in it, your name, and you know, yeah. you, you, I know you need to care about it, don't you? Like, well, I always say to them, the people I work with, it's got my name on, mm. and that means that most people in the outside world world will think I've I've been involved. So I have to be involved. I I I have to like the fabric. I have to like it has to be something that I'd wear. Or if I'm yeah. doing a younger range that I think would look great on kids. And yeah. and and like to know where the fabric comes from and that it's, you know, produced properly and like I think yeah. most people are doing now and, you know. So I, I, get, I get very, very involved. And I love it. It's a passion. You understand yeah, yeah. that. It's kind of full circle, isn't it, really? <laughs> <laughs> and when you were, you know, when you were, um, I'm fascinated about your early years, and, <laughs> and wondering who who did you look to? As a, I know who I looked up to in terms of design, but was there a designer that you were, um, well, Tommy Nutter, I loved because right. I, I think I was, I mean, he made men's suits mm. and I think I was probably the first girl that he dressed mm. that style. But then I was influenced by people like Greta Garbo, Catherine Hepburn. And if you look at right. them when they were, I mean, I think Catherine Hepburn, you know, the actress was probably in the 1930s. She would wear yeah. men's trousers and I mean, they, she looked very feminine, but it was that yeah. kind of look, and I loved it, and I loved Garbo and, and that kind of um, 30s, 40s, and it's almost like an androgynous look yeah, yeah. from that time. And I turned, you know, I had that very short little boyish haircut, yeah. and I was, you know, I, I wasn't the most shapely person on earth. <laughs> so it kind of worked for me. Yeah. And do you think it was, like, I guess, fashion to me feels like a sort of pendulum swing of things come and go, things move on. But mm -hmm. essentially the pendulum does swing yeah, from absolutely. monochrome and the, and the minimalist and then it goes across the maximalist. So do you think, I guess it's just interesting that that's where you started, but yet you talk about how you love what I've done with all the decoration well, and the colour. one of my dearest friends, and I'm sure you didn't get to meet him because you're too young and he died very young and... I think one of the genius designers was Bill Gibb. And he, you know, you've got to remember, he emerged late 60s, early 70s. Mm. And the whole look was very swinging 60s, mini skirts and, you know, that kind, you know, mm. that look, the Mary Quant, Bieber. Bieber, I loved. Yeah, yeah. I was very influenced by Barbara Hulin. I was going to ask you that, yeah. Yeah, she, she's, I always say she's like, from way back, my style icon, because she... She mixed that kind of swinging London look, but quite romantic. And that's what right. Bill did 
on a on a higher end level. I can mm. remember going to his first. I, I, actually, I think a few of the dresses he made me mm. are in the. Oh, they were in the VNA. They might they might have moved them around yet because I think they move rooms, don't they? Mm. Yeah. He did that amazing. His they were so romantic, which nobody had, in that period had done. You know, they were like mm. they were like princess dresses. Yeah, yeah. I call princess dresses. And what about Ozzy Clark? Were you a oh, fan Ozzie of him? Oh, was a great. Yeah, and I let, did you ever meet Ozzy? No, no. <laughs> no, you're too young. He was gorgeous. He was one of my best right. friends, actually, him and Celia. I, well, I lost yeah. touch with Celia. It's so sad. But yeah, he made me quite... I've still got a beautiful dark green velvet. It's like a Noel Coward dressing gown, but floor length that he made me. Actually, you'd love yeah. the print. Next time I see you, I'll show You'll it You'll have to, to you. show me, yeah. He was beautiful. my favourite, I guess. Yeah. yeah, with big kind of bell sleeves it's gorgeous it's gorgeous yeah. and he he was a one-off really and great fun great great fun so when you let you said you were going to leave monsoon was that yeah it, it was that when you went off to Pucci or, or was there an interim between that yeah there was an interim period so I'd left uh, I finished at Martins. I went to work for Monsoon and I worked there for three years. Um, and then during that time, I got to go to India a lot and discover oh, a whole nother world of, you know. Oh, um, I can see the, that influence so much in your previous right. design. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. I think I'm very much influenced by where I live. And, you know, I think the three sort of cornerstones of my work are sort of rooted in England and India and Spain. I think those are sort of my constant sources of, of inspiration. Um, but yeah, to your point, I left Monsoon and I set up my own business in a bedsit in Holborn in, in London <laughs> with my then partner, Joseph. Um, we didn't really know what we were doing other than I like to make clothes. And we just sort of, you know, we're sort of on a wing and a prayer doing bits and bobs. And then I remember penning a note to uh, someone at Vogue, and I didn't really know who to write it to. But I just went down the masthead at the front of the magazine and stopped on the name Plum Sykes. And I just okay. liked the sound of her name. I thought it was quite a cute name. So, so I sent these little postcards to her with some silk scarves and some sketches. And um, before long, I was in the office at Vogue House. And the sort of... A, a, besieged by editors and journalists looking at this little box of tricks that I'd brought in and they were placing orders. I remember Alex Shulman literally writing down a wardrobe of, I want a shirt, a skirt. So I sort of had this, you know, moment that what I was doing was was by this this team of, of women. Where they were sort of behind it and they were encouraging. In Vogue, which is so influential, right? Yeah. But it was just that sense of, again, back to what we were saying earlier, what did I have to lose? Nothing really. Um, and it was before the time of emails necessarily. You know, mm -hmm. It wasn't really about send a DM on your Instagram, yeah. which is what I seem to get these days. I get students sending DMs asking for jobs. Uh, um, and so back then, it's, you know, literally delivering a box to the door of this office and showing my work. And I remember Alex Shulman saying, if you can get a stockist, then we'll write about you. 
So um, before long, I did get a stockist, and it was brown on South Oh, Holland wow. Street. Yeah. Just have to, so, for people who don't know, Browns is like the best boutique yeah. of high end yeah. clothes in London, right? Yeah, absolutely. Got a pretty good um, track record. Can't get better than that. <laughs> yeah. But it just then spiraled. It sort of went a bit crazy for a year, whereby we had Sarnies and Bergdorf Goodman, and, and, you know, every store that you'd want was, was sort of asking to stock our clothes. And I didn't know really much about much. So it was a real baptism of fire. Um, and then I met Jay Jagger. And before you know it, I was planning a fashion show at London Fashion Week. And I remember Kate Moss coming to the bed set um, two days before the show. and She agreed to model. Wow, that, that was you, a coup. And you will know very well that that's, exactly that's sort of a game changer <laughs> yeah it is um so yeah it was just sort of like boom overnight I did this little show with very little resources and it became a sort of broadsheet headline I say it was a big was that the fallen angels show or something was it called it was, that or something it was it's very close to you it could have been fallen angels no but it what was, was it called it was Electric Angels. Oh, Electric Angels. Was... You know why? I recorded a song called Fallen Angels. Ah, that, that's there you what, go. Ages, ages ago. It didn't get released, but that's where I got you, it from. We could have had the soundtrack to the show. <laughs> if we'd have known each other back then, but we didn't. Yeah, we did. Um, Electric yeah, did, Angels, that's right. It's a brilliant title, yeah. actually. That was my first show, and that was 97. And was it the Matthew Williamson label? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So that yeah. was the launch, really. Yeah. And then it just sort of snowballed from there, really. It just went on and on in, into, you know, a couple of years went by. And then I got the job at Pucci. I was creative director of Emilio Pucci in, um, based in Florence. And I did that role for about three years. And I guess that was, I was hired there because of the sort of synthesis between what they were about and what I was about. It was about optimistic colour and pattern and like mm. you said earlier that sort of energy and, and, and you know carefree approach to dressing. Did you speak any Italian when you started at Fuji? Do you know no I, I, I used to just say um, multicarino every, to everything very <laughs> cute everything was very cute no languages are my biggest issue I couldn't <laughs> speak any Spanish I couldn't speak any Italian I don't know I think I was traumatised in a, in a teenage well, language class. So the no. English are very bad at languages. Let's face it. We're, we're lazy because everyone speaks English. Yeah, I mean, my daughter now. I'm. I, she's in a. I have a four-year-old daughter, and she is in a summer school in Mallorca, and it's just like a five-week, you know, Brilliant. little little school. It's very cute, and I remember getting the paperwork, and they were basically saying. She can go to the English-speaking classes or she can go to the Spanish classes. And without even asking, they were like Spanish classes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so she'll she, be multilingual. Yeah, and she is. And she's, um, you know, she's not going to go through the horror of having to learn Spanish or French or in her team. Because that's already... the age to learn another language is when yeah, because they're exactly. so open. So I was going to ask you... It, what's it like being a dad do you love it isn't it amazing well I've never been a dad but I've been a mum <laughs> but um 
did it change your life completely? Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's definitely changed. Um, I mean, I I guess I've we've had her. I say we, me and my partner Joseph, we've had our daughter Sky relatively late on in our lives. You know, I'm 50 next year, so. Um, well, you look bloody gorgeous. I, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess that's a thing. You know, I don't know how I could have been a father any earlier, to be honest, with the career that I've had and the focus that I've had on, you know, I wanted to to do what I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm pleased it's panned out this way. Um, but that said, she definitely has come into my life like a, a, a bolt of lightning and I'm sure every parent says this, you know, that, that you know, all kids are the same. But she just, she just consume a huge amount of my resources, time, energy. Um, so, it, so you have to work differently, don't you? You can't really, you know. I, I, I like to think I'm quite good at spinning plates. I quite like that, having six projects on at the same time. Much to Joseph's horror, who thinks it's ridiculous. But I like to be, you know, in three rooms at once doing multiple tasks. Um, so it suits me quite well that she has me running around all over the show doing stuff. But I'm loving being a dad more. I was quite surprised when she was born that I didn't just jump into this bubble of parenthood where everything was rosy. And I, I thought I'd be really good at it. I don't know why I thought that, but I didn't sort of feel that immediate, joyful parent-child thing but I've started to feel it as the four years have gone on more and more so so we're talking today where I'm looking at her out the window now and she's playing in the swimming pool and I'm hoping she doesn't splash too loudly (laughs) (laughs) I don't (laughs) care um, to ruin the, the, the sound but um no, now she's four. We're getting back and forth. There's interaction. Yeah. I think I think I think that's quite common with the newborns for many many reasons. But once they start communicating with you, it's it's, it's yeah totally different. Exactly. Thing. And how's it like for you with the grandkids? Oh my goodness! It's I I I always thought I couldn't. I mean, I love Lee, my husband, as very very much, but that's yeah. a grown-up relationship. But I didn't think I could love like I love Carly, my daughter. Right. You know, who's grown up. You know, Carly. She's in her forties yeah. now, but she's you know, there's that deep deep. Like I'm sure your mum feels for you and your sister. Yeah. I didn't know you could experience that again. Through a grand, I knew I'd love my grandchildren. Yeah. And then Carly had Joni five years ago, and and she's, you know, she's my passion. She's I love her so much, and it's almost a bit scary because you love them so much. Yeah. And 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 it's a different love because I'm not with her all the time. Yeah. You know, and and you know, as they always joke, you can you can have them and then give them back. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's so lovely the parents grandchild relationship and I bet your mum and dad are really missing seeing her as much as seeing yeah I mean we do a few calls when we can um you know but yeah I'm planning to go back very soon I mean as soon as I can go back and know that it's as safe as it can be I will do and take Sky with me what was the main reason you moved to Mallorca just because you fell in love with it or 
you know what? It was a complete accident. It was a really weird sort of turn whereby I was really busy in London. We li- I live, I have a house in um, Hampstead in Lovely, London. Yeah, I know. And a friend came round who has a house in Mallorca and, you know, maybe six or seven years ago now. And she kind of handed me her house keys and said, just go to this house in Mallorca. You look really tired, <laughs> really fed up. You, you know, you're too stressed. Go and have a weekend. And I remember taking this set of keys off and thinking, Mallorca, why would I possibly go to... Like, I just couldn't quite see it. I'd had sort of written Mallorca off as a really dodgy bucket and spade place that I would never possibly ever go to. But I was kind of pushed on this aeroplane to go and just get on with it. And I ended up in this house, this marble sort of pillar-fronted gated gorgeous place and I remember waking up the very next morning and there was a a, a show like a driver and this lady said to me good morning Mr Williamson where would you like to go for the day I said I've no idea I'm in Mallorca you tell me and she sort of looked me up and down this driver and I don't know whether it was my espadrilles or what (laughs) but she sort of looked at me and went I think I'm going to take you to Daya oh wow I said oh okay so she did. She drove me. It's in the Tramontana Mountains in the sort of north region of the island. And I'd ne- I didn't know where I was going. And she, as we drove up, you come to a sort of beautiful, enchanting little village called Baldamosa. Yeah, I know. And it's just divine and magical. And I was already seduced, for sure. And then you sort of do a, a sharp turn past the village, and then you hit the coastline. And I remember my shoulders in the back of this very swanky car just sort of dropping like by inches, thinking, not only is this just epically beautiful, this rugged coastline and the sky, just, just everything about it, the air, the nature, I just thought, I want to live here. And then we sort of wound down into this village of Dea that's tiny and very, you know, it's kind of blink and you'll miss it sort of thing. And I just got that instinct, that sort of, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna live here. I just knew that I would live there. Well, I can remember. I think I was at your flat, and you, you saying to me, I think I've just bought a house in Mallorca. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> That's probably the last time I saw you. Yeah. And I said, oh my gosh, whereabouts? And you said, Daya. Isn't yeah. Daya where Robert Graves lived and died? His, yeah, with, his with... graveyard's there, isn't it? Yeah, he has a house. I'm literally like, you could metres away. I'm sort of neighbours. Um, it's a beautiful property and it's um, now it's open to the public. It's oh, is it? a museum, sort of gallery space, really beautiful. But there's lots of fascinating people that have lived here or do currently live here that I didn't know of. And it's just sort of um unfolded this little village like the petals of a of a rose and, and the more I live here it's like oh my god that you know and whether it's not I have such a rich sort of network of friends I say rich I mean like half a dozen friends mm-hmm. but they're just so I guess you land here everyone's got a similar outlook generally speaking 
Um, and is this yeah, one of the reasons that you kind of moved across more into interiors and fabrics? Because didn't you do some rooms at La Residence? Is it La Residence or something? La Residencia, yeah. La Res- Residencia, the posh hotel. hotel here. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, that was one of my first jobs when I moved here. They asked me to design one of their very big suites. It was a be- it was a gorgeous project. I loved it. Um, but yeah, I guess it's just, you know, I, I suppose you talked about the change from fashion to interiors, but it, essentially speaking, it's been really quite quite a natural um, pivot from one to the other industries. Anyway, it's been an j- absolute joy. And as I say, I could rattle on, I could sit here all day and talk to you. <laughs> Well, we must do it more often. And if you come back to London, do let me know. Yeah, of course. Anyway, it's been so lovely. Go and jump in that pool with your with your little. I will mother. do. She's been very well behaved, hasn't she? She, she has. Thank you, Matthew. It's been lovely. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Lots of love. Ah, oh, that was so lovely to catch up with Matthew. I'm very, very jealous of him being in Mallorca at the moment. Wouldn't we all love to be going out to these sunny climbs? But uh, soon I will descend upon him. <laughs> anyway, I hope you enjoyed it. I did. It was lovely. If you've enjoyed listening to Tea with Twiggy, please take a moment to give us a lovely five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people to find the show. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast so you auto-magically get the next episodes for free. And do tell all your friends and family about it too. If you want to connect with me, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at Twiggy or you can find me on Instagram at Twiggy Lawson. My thanks go to all the people that have helped this podcast happen. Many thanks to James Carroll and all the team at North Bank Talent Management. Thanks to all the team at Stripped Media, including Ben Williams, who edits the show, my producer, Kobe Omanaka, and executive producers, Tom Wally and Dave Corkery. The music you can hear now is my version of Waterloo Sunset by The Kinks. If you'd like to hear the whole song, you can find it and all the other songs I've recorded on iTunes and Spotify. So check it out. I look forward to you joining me for my next episode. So see you then. Bye. just heard a stripped media production.